Okay, grab your cup of whatever and let's go. You know, for those of us who travel, the airport experience sets up the whole feeling of getting ready to go wherever you go. It's complex, it's immense, and it's got such a diversity of people. Well, my guest today, Catherine Goudreau, I love that name, Catherine Goudreau, Ooh, just rolls off my tongue, is the Managing Director of Corporate Real Estate for American Airlines. I know our time together will fly by, pun intended, when she tells us the behind-the-scenes stories of what it's like to operate those airports and develop the hubs at the airports and manage day-to-day -day activities. So, stay tuned. Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. Okay, folks, before we get started, you know what the red door is, my wonderful sponsor for the beautiful clothes that she allows me to wear, Betty Ryder's Boutique at Preston Center. Fabulous European designs that you can't find on all of the other places, jewelry, handbags, fabulous. I appreciate her so much. Thanks, Betty. All right. I want to welcome Catherine. Thank you so much for being on the show. And I have to tell you, as a lifetime gold American Airlines member, <laughs> I got a lot of curious questions. Are you ready? I am, and thank you for having me, and thanks for being a lifetime gold member. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. Now, you came here from what was the last city you were in? I started in Savannah, Georgia this morning. And you'll be here how long in Dallas? I will be at my house here until Wednesday morning when I head back east to Charlotte. Oh, my gosh. So I spend a lot of time on the road. <laughs> and, and when you spend a lot of the time on the road, I'm just going to say, what does the role that you have really mean? What do you do? If you get up in the morning and I'm following, I'm shadowing you, what will I see and feel you doing? It depends on the day. Part of what I love about my role is it changes every day. Mm. So what we do, what I do as managing director in corporate real estate is I'm on the facility side of the house. So my team and my colleagues are responsible for all of the planning, design, and construction at the airports where we fly. So you walk That's into the airport and you go to the ticket counter. Mm -hmm. Those ticket counters would have been designed and installed by um, my team. Your team. Um, if you walk into the hold rooms and you start to see the evolution of the hold rooms, what's changing, different kinds of seatings, the power benches that you can work on, that's probably something that's been touched by my team. Um, what you don't see, the behind the scenes, all of those airport employees who work for American need a place to check in, to put their purses or their coats or their lunches um, or take their breaks. Um, mm -hmm. You don't see all the places for the parts for the airplanes. Where do they all go? You don't really see the hangars. Um, there's so much that goes into what we do at an airport, and my team touches all of that. That's so. huge. How large is your team? 
my team actually is a total of eight people, that, and we cover the entire domestic U.S., all of our um, mainline spoke stations, so we don't cover regional. And, um, and, and then of that, we have four of what we call hub locations out of the nine hubs that American has. Oh, Catherine. How in the world did you get into this? How long have you been with American, and how did you land into this position? So it's an interesting story because I've actually been on the payroll, being receiving a paycheck from American <laughs> Airlines, um, for just shy of seven years. But I've really been with this company for about 20 years. Um, I started working for what I call Legacy U.S. Airways Version 1, Mm-hmm. Um, when they merged with America West, yes. I did that merger from the facility standpoint with them. There were 38 cities where we had overlapping functions between the two airlines. Mergers. Mm-hmm. Very much so. <laughs> and then when Legacy U.S. Airways version 2 merged with American <laughs> Airlines, my team worked on all of that rebranding. So there were, I want to say, over 300 airports where we where we managed all of the rebranding effort, um, what the new American looked like, all of the millwork that you see at the ticket counters, at the gates, et cetera. That was all my team. And then after that, I hopped over and actually became an American employee. My goodness. I have so many thoughts about it now as a traveler, uh, Catherine, and honestly, now I will really pay attention when I go up (laughs) to the ticket counter and from there on. Who all are you touching in the different cities where you have these uh, operations? Meaning, I know you have meetings with TSA, and I know you have meetings with city council, and blah, 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 blah. So the expanse of your influence is so large. What does that look like? Great question. Thank Um, you. Well, when you think about it, so, yes, when I go to an airport, I, may, I will very likely meet with my team members, those people who are in um, corporate real estate. Mm-hmm. We'll also meet with our, our team members from the operations side of the house, the ones who are actually running that day-to-day operation. We will likely meet with airport leaders and um, city council, certainly. Our government affairs team, which is part of my whole group, um, they may have me come and meet with certain other representatives. It depends on what we're doing. Like when we do a ribbon cutting, we'll usually have the mayor or somebody from city council out. So we'll do some communications with them. Um, There are various organizations where I'll be asked to speak just because, Mm -hmm. again, we're tied to them in some way, shape, or form. So um, passengers, a lot of times when I'm walking through the terminals, looking at how we interact, you know, what's going on, trying to see what can be a better experience, watching how passengers act. Some people will see that I have a badge on, so they'll ask me questions. Where can I go? What do I do here? What is that? So, you know, like I said, it's, um, you're kind of jack of all trades and maybe master of one. (laughs) Oh, I doubt that. (laughs) Catherine, we had such a fun talk before this recording, and one of the things I'm curious about is just from your perspective as a leader of such a huge and very vital part of American Airlines, what leadership competencies have helped you, you personally now, have helped you get to the position that you're in? Interesting. Um, I would say, first of all, 
you do you don't have to be the expert, but you do need to have a good knowledge base and you need to be a quick learner. And and I think that over mm -hmm. the years I've developed those skills. From a leadership standpoint, to me, you you need to be able you need to have the skills that will allow people to follow you. Oh, you can have that. you can have a leader who is a dictator. Mm -hmm. People follow that dictator because they have to, out of fear. Or you can be a leader who leads and people want to follow that person. And that's what I want to be. And that's what I try to be with my team. And, and I will tell you, we've developed a fabulous relationship as a result. Well, that I know. <laughs> that I know. So let's dig into that for just a minute. Because one of your lessons learned was you can learn leadership skills from anyone. Yep. Sometimes you learn how to be, and sometimes you learn how not to be. That is correct. What's the best leader you've worked for, and what did that look like, that you've grabbed some of the things that that person might have done well? So that's, again, interesting question, and I thought a lot when I, when I wrote that lesson learned for uh -huh. you as to, the best leader for me may not have been the best leader for you because we're all different, right? So my best leader was, was a boss at, at one of my prior companies. And why he was such a great leader for me is he recognized that the way I wanted to work was tell me what your expectations are. You know, give me the rules of engagement, so to speak, right? And then let me go do it. I will reach out to you if I need help. And you can certainly reach out to me if you don't think I'm doing the right thing. But otherwise, let me go and do it. Don't try to micromanage me. So that's why I would call him my favorite boss. We are still friends. He's retired now. Um, but others may not like that autonomy, may want more frequent contact. I don't need to be told you're doing a good job. Mm -hmm. I'll know if you're not calling me, telling me I'm doing a bad job. Sure. But that's me personally. And mm -hmm. so people are different. What they need from a leader varies. And that, that goes to another thing you said, which is about knowing the team. Mm -hmm and knowing them intimately. Let me just preface asking you about this because I just find, Catherine, that sometimes leaders get so busy doing, 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 and goodness knows with COVID and coming out of it and so forth, there's a lot to do, do, do. Mm -hmm. But what I know about you and the reason I wanted you on this show is because you're a woman who has this huge position, a vital position, one that we as passengers, did we really think about all of the little things that goes on to what she makes sure gets done? And yet you have, you have accomplished this, A, as a woman, which a lot of people say, gosh, how did she get to the table, which I'd love for you to address. And then the things that you've learned to do so that you are and do have a seat at the table. How did you get this seat at the table? So I started out, and I, and I will say, how did, how did I get it? It would be a mixture of hard work and luck. Um, hmm. I, I have to say being in the right place at the right time. So, and seeing it, though, mm -hmm. recognizing yes. it. Okay. Yes, I would say that's absolutely true. Um, I started out in the military. You I, did? I was, I was an officer in the United States Navy. I'm actually retired from the Navy. And I was in the Civil Engineer Corps. 
and you were in what corps? Civil Engineer Corps. My goodness. So building, you got a little theme going no, here. No, okay, I'm seeing <laughs> design the and construction, planning, design, construction. There right? you go. And discipline. And well, and and I am a degreed engineer. So um, at a time, and you asked about being a woman, the general or the the women about ten years older than I am broke the glass ceiling, and and we came and got scratched by it as we came through. Um, <laughs> I like that. But I never looked at it that way. Um, I just knew that I had to balance, you know, my my life as a as a mother, you know, a wife, a mother, and a working person. Mm -hmm. But I think men have to balance the same thing. So I really didn't look at myself differently. Yes, I'm a woman, but same expectations are there, whether you're male or a female. And my job was to do my best, make sure that I'm supportive, make sure I'm contributing. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. And in time, opportunities came for me that I took. Um, when I left the Navy, I went to work on the airport side of the house, working on the construction, what we called the new national airport, which is now 27, 28 years old, <laughs> right? And um, and then I went to work in manufacturing um, for a company that makes the boarding bridges for airports. What you when you go into the hold room and then you walk oh, down sure. the bridge onto the plane? Yes. Manufacturing side of the house. So I got to learn something very different for me. And from there, I went to the consulting side of the house. I was a VP for a large engineering firm, and that's when I started working very closely with at that time U.S. Air, then U.S. Airways then the America West U.S. Airways, then the American, you know, <laughs> U.S. Airways American. Few names, so, few brands. Yeah. So it's been an interesting progression. Like I said, um, it has been a lot of hard work, but um, but it's also been a lot of luck, you know, being in the right place at the right time. Like you said, seizing the opportunity. And seizing the opportunity. Mm -hmm. What an accomplished person. I'm starting to get a little intimidated, but I'll try not to. <laughs> you said something else, Catherine, about, uh, let's just take about what inspires you we know that people who work for you are inspired because of who you are and how you lead them. What and who inspires you? So I will say the, there's, there's been many people over the course of time, but steadfast person who has always inspired me is my mother. She's just an amazing woman. She's retired now, but she was, um, she was a college professor. She, taught people how to be teachers. She was nationally recognized in her field. She served really? as an advisor to the governor of the state of California for a while. And she always taught me to do my best, believe in myself, and don't worry. You know, just, just go out there and do your best. Mm -hmm. That's really what you can ask from yourself. So she, she, she remains my biggest inspiration. Lots of others out there too, but I have to give the biggest credit to my mom. What a nice thing to say. Some of us can say that. Some maybe <laughs> can't make it on our own and so forth. Yeah. All right, I'll ask you some fun questions. What okay. triggers you? What gets your goat? When, when you do this, not my fault. <laughs> That's very visual. I don't like that. We call it the coat of arms, right? That's right. That's <laughs> not right. my fault. I like that. that. That will absolutely trigger an unpleasant reaction. For Does me. that happen a lot? Um, not anymore with my team. Okay, there you go. That's a good answer. <laughs> Have you had any do-overs where you kind of wish that you had done something differently? 
I think we all have do-overs or wishes that we could do things differently. But I think what I've learned when you get to be as old as I am, you learn some things you just have to do wrong and you have to make your mistakes. Hopefully they're not fatal ones and you learn from those so that you don't make them again. So your do-over is not making that same mistake again. Yeah, learn from it. Mm -hmm. But we all have it. Mm -hmm. If any of you haven't, you just uh, let me know, will you? I'd like to have you on the show. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. What's your number one value? You know, you could list my values or this, 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 and this, Catherine, but what bubbles up to the top and why? Easy answer for me. Integrity. Okay. Um, it is, I, I, I've often told people, you need integrity in order to, to be an effective person, whatever role you're doing. If you lose that, if people don't trust you, they don't have to like you, but they have to know that you, that you have integrity, that you are honest, and that you are always going to, at least what you believe to do, is the right thing. And I think that if you don't have integrity, you can't be successful. Absolutely, absolutely, and absolutely. And that's what the show is about. Mm -hmm. I would never have anyone on the show that doesn't have integrity, trust me, because <laughs> it's all about authenticity. And on that note, Catherine, sometimes I find, or from experience I've seen, that when, let's say, an emerging leader starts out with all the great values and sometimes as the climb goes up, sometimes it can be compromised. And once it's compromised, once it's easier, you know where I'm going. Yeah, I do. So how do you keep, how did you keep, how do you keep your integrity with all of the chaos and all of the big decisions you have to make and, and changes in decisions even? What does that look like? So for me, um, and, and this goes back probably to the military side of me, um, for me, integrity is, there, there's very little gray. It's black and white. Um, that doesn't mean that I wouldn't say, you know, hey, I made the right decision at that time. That's not the decision I'd make later or, you know, sure. when circumstances change. But mm -hmm. for me, there, there's not really a gray zone. Um, you need to be honest. And you need to, when you say I'm doing my best, you need to do your best. Um, that doesn't mean that every day we can always do that. Some days we're tired. Some days things happen. Um, but it does mean that you're honest, you're real, and you're not going to do things that are unethical. And if no you gray. do, you won't recover from that. No, there's no gray. So I, I get that's you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Do you think leadership is born or grown? Both. Okay, tell us more. So nature or nurture, right? Right. So nature, I think that... Um, I think some people, when you look at, um, now you can have leaders who are very much introverted, right? Yes, and still be good leaders as mm -hmm. well as extroverts. But I think some skills we're born with, and it may be harder. Um, you know, for me, my most difficult thing is not talking too much. Really? <laughs> but, um, but a lot of it is learned. I mean, think about it from the time when you were very young. Who do you see as leaders? Your parents or whoever's raising you, right? Um, and then, then you start to see, you get models from school 
and your friends. And you start to see how your friends are behaving, who emerges in the classes as the class leaders. So, you know, I, I think that there's a little bit that, that's nature. There's a lot of it that's nurture, that you learn. Mm -hmm. But I think that you learn by being exposed to a lot of different people, a lot of different styles, and learning what works best for you. I love that. That was, so, that was beautifully said. What, Catherine, is a question no one has asked you in all of your interviews, and you'd love to answer it? Oh, my gosh. Now, that's a tough one. <laughs> Um, let's see. Personal no one, or personal or business, for one. I think no one has asked me. You know, what is? How how do you find balance? No one's actually asked me that. How do you find balance really? in life? Nope, no That's one's ever asked me that. Such a common question. Okay, how do you it know? is, but no one's ever asked that. And huh. and you know, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that I've actually figured it out. I'll I'll, I'll say this. Balance, again, I think is something that's very personal and varies from, from person to person. Sure. You were talking about where, was, where did I start this morning. I started where my husband is. We've been married for just about 20 years, and oh. most of that time I've been on the road. And yet we have a very successful and wonderful marriage. But we've found that balance. And it's going to be interesting when, you know, I think it's going to be great when I do hit retirement and we're together, but it is going to be an adjustment. It's going to be different. <laughs> Who is this woman, this blonde that keeps showing up every morning? Well, you know, when you think about it, you know, if, you know, when I'm gone, when I'm, when I'm in my Texas house uh -huh. um, and, and I'm actually here more than half the time, right? So I make decisions, you know, how often the house is cleaned and what it looks like and where things go. Whereas at the, you know, the residence that I'm at on the weekends, when I see my husband, when I'm gone, he makes those decisions. I don't always agree with those decisions. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be an adjustment, but hey, we'll get there. It'll be great. But balance is a hard thing. Mm -hmm. I will say one other thing. When, when I was younger and raising my boys, balance was very difficult, Valerie. And you asked, where did I go? There were times, a couple of times where... I'm not sure how I found that fortitude, but I said, I'm, I'm not traveling. Mm -hmm. So there was a point when my youngest was in high school and um, he was very active in music and very talented um, clarinetist and singer. And so he had a lot Good. of performances that I did not want to miss. And so I made decisions. I told people who I worked for no, I am not going to travel. These are the days when I will travel and here's when I won't because I'm not missing these performances. I get one shot at this. And I will tell you, mm -hmm. it's very interesting. I'm going to tell you this one story. He was a senior in high school mm -hmm. and, um, and it was a winter concert and I was all set to go. And then it snowed and it got canceled and it got rescheduled to a time when I was, I remember, I was in Philadelphia. And I worked that day. I drove back that night. My administrative um, assistant drove with me. She didn't want me driving alone. Drove down to make sure I was at that performance. And my son had four solos that he had not told me about. And when the Aww. concert finished, I said, Matt, how come you didn't tell me? He said, oh, I knew you'd be there. Mm -hmm. Okay, that says something. Wow. That says, that's you know, and, and I, I say this and tell this story to people because that's really important. Mm -hmm. That's what he will remember. 
I never missed a performance. I made sure I was there, no matter what. That's much more important. I tell people all the time, your gravestone isn't going to say she worked a lot. Mm -hmm. It's going to say she was a good mother, she was a good friend, she was a good daughter, she was a good wife, not she worked a lot. That is a very relevant and important message that you just gave. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. So it can be done. I want to go to a couple of things, too, that we talked about and you said are some lessons learned, Catherine. Besides being real and genuine, we talked about that, and you certainly are. Uh, in worrisome times, let's face it, we all know, audience, you know it, and I know it, and we've all experienced it. It's still worrisome times, isn't it? Yeah. So a leader at your level, how do you, how do you lead your people through these worrisome times? It's like waves. It's not like, okay, COVID's over and now we're good, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, for me anyway, and what I'm seeing with other leaders, it's an ebb and flow, some ups and then some really downs. How do you deal with, with that with your team? Again, an excellent question because you're right, it is ebbs and flows. And I will, I will go back to when COVID was first hitting. In the airline industry, we were shutting everything down. Um, yes. people were retreating into staying at home, stay away, you know, I mean, we all remember what that was like. Well, in my world, we didn't know what was going to happen. People aren't flying, they're canceling flights. We're not sure where we're going. Countries are closing down. So you can imagine as we're working to shut down all of our construction projects, cancel design contracts, stop work in mm -hmm. essence, mm -hmm. what are we going to do? How are they going to need us, right? Mm -hmm. So as after we got through that first bulk of, you know, canceling everything, which kept us busy, then what? Well, we're still getting a paycheck. We knew that, you know, hey, the airline's going to squeeze down because we're not flying. And so everybody worried about losing their jobs. And I was, and I realized that because I was one of them. I didn't know if I was going to stay or not. Uh -huh. It really didn't have to do with whether you were good, great, or anything like that. It was, how many people do we need, right? So one of the things that I did is, again, recognizing just in various conversations with my team members, you know, the fears, you can hear it in the voice, um, the uncertainties, was I said, okay, we're going to get together every day on um, Teams call. And so I can see everybody. I made, made us all originally show our faces because um, I wanted to make sure everybody was still getting up and, you know. <laughs> Not, not in their pajamas. And, um, and we started working on, you know, what can we do? So for me, I volunteered for just about every committee we had on COVID. I've learned more about COVID than any, you know, non-medical person should know. But we started doing things like working as a team. What are all, of, when we first thought it was a contact disease, what are all of the touch points? from the time that you come to the airport to the time you leave, and how can we address those? Hmm. So we did a lot of brainstorming and we worked. And then when we knew it was airborne, we went through and took a look at all of our lease properties and American leases over a thousand different properties. And yes. what is the air filtration in those places? And, and so, pushing the buttons mm -hmm. you mentioned. Yep, yeah, anything that you can touch. Mm -hmm. um, people you know, start becoming a lot more conscious about touching things and you know, getting them close to their mouths and so forth. So 
we put together the every touch point, all of we researched the latest technology, we discussed as a team all that awful plexiglass that you see. Mm -hmm. Most of those designs, for American anyway, came from my team. They got modified by our tech ops group, but most of those came from my team. Sitting and working through, what do we do? How do we design the next thing? What does this look like? Um, it kept everybody busy. It kept them um, active in a in a way that you know we were earning a paycheck, mm -hmm. and it also let us see each other and let us know, hey, you know, we're all in this together. And at the end of the day, my whole team stayed intact. So I'm very proud of that. You should be. That's that's just. Next time I go to the airport, I'm going to be thinking about all these little tiny things that you took care of and you saw. I would say that causes the team participants and you to really up the game in innovation, coming up with these new ideas. It does, but I think more important than that, what it does for, for my team mm -hmm. is that we help each other. You know, nobody has perfect days. Or, or like you said, if they do, they should come on to your show and tell yes, us all how. I haven't found one yet. <laughs> but um, but it, it lets us work together, rely on each other. Um, we're not a one-man show or a woman's show, right? And I have found the older I get that the more that you can work together, um, the more effective that you're going to be. So we've really bonded and I will tell you my team is across the entire US and they all talk to each other. They don't go up through me and down. They talk to each other. You know, Valerie, help me out. I've got this situation. Didn't you say you had something like that? Mm -hmm. So it makes us a lot more effective. And I think that's why I have such a good bunch of people. You may be getting a lot of calls. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they know where to get you. Um, you know what? This has just been this has just been so interesting, so different, and so amazing. The things that you do, and I have to leave with one more thing. I know you do blows my mind how talented you are. At, you know, uh, military and and engineer and all of these things, and you're musical. Will you just <laughs> tell us about that? I um, at five years old, my mother gave me piano, got me piano lessons. And um, so, did you want them at five? I wanted them at five. Okay. I did not want them when I was about eight. Oh. Um, I, I I really kind of pushed back a lot, and and then in junior high school, I played in a jazz band at school. That's I was learning to play flute then too, in the band, marching band. So, and then I decided I wasn't really going to get better if I didn't have lessons. So that's when I wanted them again. <laughs> but um, no, and um, so. And music has been great. I do. I um, I actually volunteered many years ago to um, be the accompanist for the youth choir um, at my church. And our director ended up leaving, so I inherited the group. And um, so I, for years it was the youth choir, and then I made it family choir because I wanted other families to have what I had because I had a son in it with me mm -hmm. and and it was just such a wonderful experience and you know and teaching these kids too and, and listening to them and learning about you know what their lives are like um, so it was great fun and then when we finally disbanded I sang in um, in a different group I played the piano and sang with our contemporary choir so yeah been busy. Fascinating. <laughs> and doesn't she look fun? She's just fun. She's just fun. A leader with such a huge job. It's fun. I just love it. Catherine, thank you for being on the show. I've learned so much. 
we we talked previously, but we did. You just shared some things that I didn't know, and especially some things about uh, appreciating our experience when we go in to the airport and uh, interact with all of the things. Now we'll look at things differently, won't we? We'll appreciate all the things that she does. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. And safe travels all the time. Safe, safe, safe travels. Thank you so much. I have one last thing I wanted to add. And that is how I met you. Um, Okay. So I met Valerie because my company did a 360 evaluation for all of our directors and above. And we were then assigned a coach. And Valerie was my coach. And I have to tell you, you're amazing. And I think that was four plus years ago that we first met. We've kept in touch. I love the emails that you send out. I share them with my team and other people. So I have to say thank you for being such an amazing lady yourself. Wow. That's very humbling. Can we just cheer each other? Cheers. All right. (laughs) Isn't that nice? And audience, you can't miss these shows. Please, (laughs) would you be sure that you share this episode? If you have not subscribed, that's what that little red button is. You know, I used to watch podcasts a lot, and I never thought about hitting the red button. Well, let me tell you, it's Google Juice, so would you do that for me? I'd appreciate it. And for now, stay tuned, because I've got a Valerieism. You ready? Okay. Here's the one I chose for you today. It's this. Character is built in the demands of everyday life. Well, we've certainly talked about that, haven't we? You know, the other day I was uh, rushed And, you know, sometimes when we are rushed, we can maybe lose our calmness. Well, I did. I I almost did. I didn't. But I almost lost it in a customer service situation. And I caught myself. And here's how I caught myself. I stopped a minute and looked at this woman's eyes and reminded myself, thank goodness I caught myself, Don't always, but I did. I looked in her eyes, and my thought was, I don't know your story. I don't know what you go home to every night. I don't know if you love your job. I don't know if you have health issues. I don't know your story. And so I thought I would do it, do the Valerieism on this, because... The other thing I've learned is when you don't know, a smile makes all the difference. Because you know what? It stops the mouth from opening up and saying something you'd regret. That's my Valerieism for today. And until next time, stay safe, stay happy, and certainly stay authentic. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.